Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. A very good evening to you and welcome to The Law Report. My name is Michael Matwening Bell. It's very good to be with you this evening where once again we talk about law. And this evening we're talking about something that is quite topical of late and that's the Copyrights Amendment Bill. And trust me, this is a show that you want to listen to because the effects, the implications and the impact is so widespread that it affects so many um, different role players in the creative space. And and this is one of those shows where you want to be listening and paying quite a lot of attention. And what we'll always be doing, this being the law report, we'll obviously be making sure that you, you, you come along. You understand what this bill is about, um, not just the debates around um, what the industry feels, but also you understanding so that you can formulate your own opinion. Uh, so I look forward to engaging you. And as always, you can give us a ring. The number to dial is 86 I have quite a number of guests, so you're going to have to, you know, sharpen your ear a little bit to be able to uh, come along with me and, and get everybody's name and where everybody comes from. So I got, I got a full house, as it were. And uh, I also have um, two guests that will be joining me on the line. So let me begin by introducing my first guest, uh, Dr. Evelyn uh, Masocha. She's the Deputy Director General at the Department of Trade and Industry. Um, so that's, that's my first guest. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Masocha, thank you so much for joining us on The Law Report. Good evening, uh, listeners, and thank you, Michael, for inviting the DTI to be part of this discussion. And also um, um, an attorney, uh, Mr. Stephen Hollis. He's a partner at Adams & Adams um, in the intellectual property um, um, division of it. And, um, and as always, you know, um, we will need to be taken along and, 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 and sort of made to understand what this um, proposed bill is all about and what changes will be coming forward. Um, Mr. Hollis, thank you so much for joining us on The Law Report. Thank you very much, Michael. Glad to be here. Hello, everybody. And also, uh, let me welcome Nick uh, um, Matsukis. He's a director at the Academy of Sound Engineering. Hello, Nick. Did I bastardize your surname? No, no, do I, Tommy. <laughs> it's someone who's probably dialed in, yeah. Somebody's already dialed in, I guess. Fantastic. Um, we are, um, and then uh, Mr. Jack Deverin. Uh, Deverin uh, he's executive committee member at uh, Saga. Uh, Mr. Deverin, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Law Report. It's a pleasure, Michael. Great to be here. And also, um, Mr. Christo de Clark, uh, he's a CEO of Blind SA. Uh, Mr. de Clark, good evening and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Michael, listeners and everybody present. Um, thank you for promoting me. I'm not actually the CEO of Blind SA. Um, I represent Blind SA. I am an EXCO member um, and the chair of Blind SA's Braille Committee. Got you. Um, and then also Dusi uh, Fogani, Ms. Dusi Fogani, uh, she's, with the, she's a policy consultant at Recreate. Um, Ms. Fogani, good evening and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening and thank you very much for the invita- invitation. Also from uh, Recreate, uh, she's the Recreate Policy Fellow, uh, Nontando Dusi. Um, I think it's Tusi, pronounced Tusi, but spelled Dusi. Yes. So <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not my illiteracy that <laughs> if you hear the pronunciation, it's a little bit funny. Uh, uh, Miss Tusi, good evening and thank you so much for joining us. To evening, you Michael. Thank you for having me. And on the line, uh, I'm joined um, by Mr. Colin uh, Zamini. He's the Executive Manager, Business Development at Juto and Company and the convener of the Coalition for Effective Copyright in South Africa. Mr. Zamini, thank you so much for joining us as well. 
Thank you, Mike. And in a moment, we're also going to be joined by Gabby LaRue. I will introduce him as soon as we've secured him on the line. But let me pick up here. I mean, um, a lot of us, um, you know, may not know what some of the um, organizations do. And I think a good starting point to any conversation is to to deal firstly with understanding your point of view. And I think a good point of view is to understand that of the Department of Trade and Industry. And if you'd allow me, I'd like to start with you, um, Dr. Evelyn Masocha, to talk about perhaps, you know, what, where you come from and, you know, how you come in into this bill and your interest in particular. Because, you know, one would know that that's the, on the one hand as a department of trade and industry but the obvious um, um thought would have been hang on this is a department of arts and culture so so perhaps just you know plug in for us um there thank you so much michael um the department of trade and industry is uh, responsible for the copyright um, act of 1978 and also the performance protection act i'm mentioning the two legislation because we are responsible for ip uh, policy for intellectual property legislation in south africa but we share this mandate also with other departments who look at the creators or the creative industry so the creative industry is quite wide and uh, the departments that are involved with it include the Department of Arts and Culture and uh, the Department of Science and Technology um, to some extent. And from where, where we come in, uh, in this copyright amendment bill, is that we are the custodian of this bill. Mm-hmm. And this is a very important bill for the country and, and, and for the DTI because for over 40 years we have an outdated legislation that has not been aligned to international best practices and also that has not been protecting the rights of the creators. And so the, the bill is so, uh, it covers a wide range um, uh, copyright-based industries and it addresses various interest groups and we are actually very excited that we are having this engagement as a country looking at the rights of um, our creators and protecting their rights and ensuring that they also benefit from exploiting the economic rights that this legislation aims to to bring forth copyright um, the amendment bill is so critical that it introduces various um, various elements to it that have not been there before for example there are some digital um, initiatives that are in the bill that it proposes it looks at uh, issues of collective uh, management uh, ensuring that collecting societies are regulated and the issues of uh, royalties I mean we know that our creators authors and, and others have struggled in the past with issues of contracting and payments of royalties have been a challenge so if you look at how we came about here we it, it, this has spent for many years for, uh, for more than 10 years we've been having engagements in terms of looking at different groups that are affected by the bill mm. and trying to ensure that we have a comprehensive bi- comprehensive bill that addresses these issues and i must emphasize the copyright review commission that was appointed by the minister to look at issues impacting on the uh, copyright law but falls from a music uh, industry perspective and it came about with various recommendations and these recommendations informed the the copyright amendment bill and we are of the view that this bill is very balanced mm-hmm. and it addresses various um, stakeholders and we think that 
it puts us in the map as a country going forward to ensure that we balance the interests of our, our of our creators for them to exploit their economic opportunities and we also have done uh, apart from consultations uh, there are studies that have been conducted to ensure that we have a balanced legislation mm -hmm. that takes into account the best international practices and that looks at various issues that has led us to where we are now it's a very interesting point that you raise and 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 i understand you to be saying this bill is 10 years in the making we started these engagements uh, as early as 2009 um where the the president at the time uh, met with the creative industry role players and they raised various issues uh, that impacted on them from payments of royalties, contractual issues, formalization. So the journey did not just start three years ago. We have been going through this with them for many years and various interest groups, uh, including uh, the others who are in the bill. So it has been a very long um, process of consultation over time. I want to just pick up on that and, and perhaps go to the line and, and speak to Colin Lamini. Um, uh, Mr. Lamini, when I read your article, you, you, you seemed to suggest, amongst other things, of course, that this bill was in many ways railroaded into the industry. And, and, and I think that's, you know, the, the, the outcome or the point of view that one gets from, from the Deputy Director General is that actually, you know, the, it has been 10 years in the making. So perhaps if you can just slot in there and, and clarify, you know, how you mean um, um, uh, uh, and, and also in addition to just perhaps the, the, the criticism that you advance about how the speed with which this bill is, is implemented, um, also perhaps voice your, your point of view uh, insofar as it, 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 its contents in general. Uh, thank you, Michael, for, for this opportunity. Um, so, yes, we, we, we agree with uh, the DDG in terms of the reforms that are required to bring the, the copyright bill in line and to modernize it and to bring it in line with the digital age. We don't dispute that at all. And unfortunately, though, there are unintended consequences. And when you look at how the bill had had been processed through Parliament. There were numerous consultations, as the DDG had said, but those consultations cannot be said to be meaningful if they were not taking into account all the submissions that were provided by the various stakeholders. I mean, the entire publishing sector, the film sector, the music sectors, were all are all saying they've been ignored and alienated in the entire process. There's been voluminous uh, submissions that were made in Parliament, but only a certain section of the stakeholders, which is predominantly Recreate and uh, Google, that were favoured in terms of um, the recommendations which were put forward, which in our case, we're saying, look, we know this is a highly contested uh, terrain, but you can achieve a balance. Currently, the bill is tilted to favor only the users and not the creatives. It does not strike a balance. And in copyright, we know that you need to strike a balance between the users who need to be able to get access to use copyright works, but also you need to be able to give 
the creatives, the incentive, and for them to be able to earn a living out of all the works that they produce. So this bill, unfortunately, um, has had numerous flawed processes along the way. And we have, we, we, we have um, on numerous occasions said that the, the processes were flawed from the beginning. In the beginning, the DTI averted the NEDLEC process, and we've always said to them, there'll be consequences here around job losses and, and all these um, uh, and, 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 and numerous um, issues that would be, you know, um, would see. So, and also, um, Mike, there hasn't been an interministerial committee on intellectual property that to set up to look at this bill under the new IP policy framework. Um, like you have said, uh, there's the Department of, Department of Arts and Culture, there's the Department of Communication, Science and Technology, you know, and these all, all these um, departments are impacted, including DERCO, because you have international treaties that need, you know, um, to be looked into. So. There has, we, we, we're really concerned about this as, as a coalition that represents numerous creative sectors um, in, in South Africa. So let me let me um, correct something that we um, that I got wrong in the beginning. We have two Nicks um, uh, joining us this evening. Uh, the first Nick that I uh, introduced incorrectly is uh, Mr. Nick Kluter. He's the chair for Animation South Africa. Nick again. Welcome to the Law Report and thank you for joining us and um, I apologize for, for confusing you. Hi Michael, no problem. Everyone makes those mistakes. It happens all the time. <laughs> and to your listeners too. And uh, yeah, I suppose, you know, it would have been a good idea to copyright your name. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I can't do that, so. Uh, Kaya Tatoil is also joining me. He'll be helping me um, co-host the show. Uh, Kaya, hello to you. Good evening. Good evening to everybody in the studio. Of course, um, Kaya needs no introduction. He's a resident analyst um, on Kaya FM, so so we'll be um, engaging very much with him. But let's also introduce the other Nick uh, who's joining us on the line, um, Nick uh, um, Mazukis. Um, hello, Nick. Uh, you're the director of the Academy of Sound Engineering. Are you well? Good evening, Michael. Um, Regretfully, I speak to you from my sick bed, so please forgive me if I sound a bit hoarse and throaty and coffee, but the lurgy has struck. But good evening to you and your listeners and everyone on the panel there. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be with you tonight. You're welcome. Thank you so much for, for, for being with us despite your your disposition. And also, uh, Mr. Gabby LaRue, um, he's the uh, General Secretary at uh, Dumsa and the music composer and producer. Um, Mr. Gabby LaRue, hello and thank you so much for joining us as well. Hi, thank you very much for having me. It really is a pleasure to talk to you guys and your listeners. Let's let's perhaps you know sort of take a um, a, a, a view, and, and and I want to get a a holistic view, uh, particularly from from you, Stephen, on what it, does this bill introduce, and and I think and I think I'm looking more to hear from you because you coming in as as an attorney who engages um, with the uh, with the bill almost on a non non-subjective term because you're not in the industry per se you you you're an advisor and 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 may may just give us you know uh, uh, and i'm not suggesting that everybody else is not objective but there is a level of subjectivity in 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 some of their viewpoints what does this bill introduce what does it change and seek to change 
Well, Michael, the the first thing to understand about copyright law is, or the Copyright Act, it's a it's a tremendous effort to try and make the first uh, substantial amendments, as uh, Dr. Masocha uh, mentioned. So for DTI, this was a massive task mm. because. If you look at all the people from the different industries in this room uh, representing different constituents, you'll hear different concerns from each from each uh, sector. So the difficulty is you've got one piece of legislation that regulates each of these different sectors. Mm. Now, if we had a very high level look at what sectors are uh, involved, it would be, for instance, the publishing sector, the book publishing sector. Then you've got the music industry. Now, within the music industry, you've got the recording industry that's got a completely different and separate rights model, remuneration model, uh, and business model than even the music publishing business in the music sector. Then you've got the film industry. Uh, you've got um, various role players, whether producers, whether uh, people, uh, producers of documentaries, producers of feature films, all working with different budgets, different kinds of, uh, of roles. And at the same time, while the, the Copyright Act was uh, looked at, uh, it was decided uh, uh, by DTI to also, uh, at the same time, update our performance legislation, which is also very important uh, uh, for us to do. Um, you know, it's uh, quite amazing to think that we're only now introducing moral rights uh, for performers uh, and also certain exclusive rights that, uh, that performers, for instance, in the music industry have, have had for much longer than those in the, uh, you know, acting in film and on screen. So when you balance, when you look at all these different uh, uh, role players and stakeholders, uh, of course, the danger is that if you don't understand one of these sectors properly, and how they operate, then any legislative amendment that might, for instance, favor the music industry might potentially hurt the, uh, the, the book publishing industry and vice versa. So that's the difficult task with a copyright bill is by amending a certain provision. And to give you a quick example, Michael, mm -hmm. uh, one of the catalysts of the, the change of the legislative uh, uh, developments, um, yes, it was to bring our, our law in line with digital developments and in a digital environment where everyone plays nowadays, um, and certainly to align ourselves with modern and best practices, um, but, um, but also... It, it served as an opportunity or the ca one of the catalysts was what was mentioned earlier by Ms., uh, doc, uh, Dr. Masocha, the, the group of musicians who went to President Zuma and said, it's been 10 years almost since needle time has been reintroduced in our law. We've not received any royalties. Help us. And, and that led to the establishment of the, uh, the CRC Commission, uh, which looked into specifically the music industry. All right, with a specific focus on the music industry, how do we uplift the plight of musicians and our and, and composers uh, and songwriters who, for so long, have actually struggled to make a living in this country? Uh, even though uh, some of their music, uh, you know, the music originating from this country has got limitless potential.
So that report, the CRC report, was a 200-page document that contained valuable recommendations on how to, uh, to improve the plight of, of artists in the music industry. Now, one of the recommendations, which is a controversial one, and we can discuss that if we have the time later, is a so-called 25-year reversion of rights. Uh, uh, you know, to uh, let's say, uh, you know, people who write music, the composers, the songwriters. Now, the thing is, when you apply that provision, which, for instance, in the music industry c could was meant to be a recommendation to alleviate the situation where you've got an artist who is not yet uh, established and they they negotiate with a with a with a powerful company whether the recording company or a publishing company and there's not a even uh, a bargaining uh, level to give them another bite at the cherry 25 years later if the song made a big success to if necessary have the opportunity to renegotiate terms uh, you know and get a better deal uh, because you could actually sign your rights away at the beginning uh, and and 25 years later, it's a it's a it's a song that generates uh, so much money. Right. So, so, so just 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 to to make sure that we we all get it, uh, the, the the 25 year reversion right means that you can sell it, but it comes back to you after 25 years. Is that what it means? That's right. So in, in so, which case, then it's open for you to either keep it or or trade it again. Yeah, so typically uh, the, the way it works and, and the way it's legislated actually is, is a little bit off, you know, off the point. Um, and we, we do need to delve into that a little bit. But the idea behind it is yes, to give a specific artist, a, a group of people who've been disadvantaged in the past, musical artists, the right to get their rights back after 25 years. Now, a rights reversion clause, even though it's not something that uh, is terribly unusual for instance in the united states they've got one as well it, although in the united states the term of copyright protection is longer it's 70 years versus 50 years in south africa mm -hmm. and the rights reversion happens after 35 years not 25 years also there are very specific uh, uh, circumstances in which the rights reversion occurs so for instance if you've written music for a film for a motion picture you will not qualify for the reversion because what will happen then is the movie houses will stop employing composers if they know that after 25 years um, they they don't control the music use in the film anymore mm -hmm. and if that specific composer were to uh, object and say after 25 years look i want a million dollars or else you must pull my music segment from your film it renders the film unusable or they have to edit and pull it from the market which means none of the actors who, who featured in that film uh, uh, would, would, would be, uh, you know, they'd be commercially uh, disadvantaged. So these kind of reversion uh, rights need to be treated very carefully and to give you an example of my, in my opinion, uh, and uh, I made representations to Parliament in 2017 uh, during the first uh, hearings on the on the bill, on the copyright bill, and I raised some of these points then. Uh, Ms. Masocha, of course, is not under <laughs> attack here because she wasn't involved in the, in, or I don't know in what capacity maybe, but it was the, the acting DDG or deputy DDG of uh, McDonald Nechienze and uh, Mishendri Parayachi was largely uh, responsible for the drafting of the first bill. And one of the proposals, for instance, relating to 25-year reversions that immediately caught a, a, a legal attention is that it was made across-board applicable mm. with, no, with no refining uh, at all to or say in these circumstances music. you can't get it back, everything. Right. So to, to an example that I used in Parliament uh, uh, is, uh, you know, let's say I am a graphic designer and I design Nike's swoosh logo. 
25 years later, I get my copyright back in that logo. I go to Nike and say, you must immediately pull the swoosh from all your products, even though they've spent all the money and the marketing mileage over 25 years to build a brand that's now worth billions. And I say, hang on, I was commissioned or to, to draw that swoosh for you. I now control that brand. It simply cannot work like that. Mm -hmm. But that was a clear indication that the drafters of the bill had no idea of the fine nuances that copyright poses. And that in itself signified a massive risk to all of the other industries concerned. And that is but a micro, let's call it a one small example of how this bill, because there wasn't proper uh, industry consultation clearly, if you look at the provisions, I mean, you'll are, are, you saying, are you saying that the same concern that you had in 2017 was not remedied? Well, uh, yes, uh, certainly not. The, okay. the, the bill is still fraught with, with uh, a tremendous amount of provisions, which even though they had good intentions from DTI, mm -hmm. will have unintended consequences because the drafting team did not understand copyright number one. Yeah. And there wasn't sufficient engagement with industry before the bill was drafted. Not, we know there were, there were public hearings in August 2017. That's fine. But the bill was already prepared. We already looked at the draft. At that point, we looked at the second draft. The problem is, uh, Dr. Masocha mentioned that DTI has been working for the last decade on the development of this bill. Why hasn't there been any, in, of any industry direct consultation? But, 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 I mean, we'll come back to that because there's, there's also, as she mentioned, the Copyright Review Committee. We'll, we'll, we'll get more into that. Sure. Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to hear from um, our other guests. We're back after this. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuining Bill. Welcome back to The Law Report. I'm joined in studio by Mr. Nick Kluter, uh, Ms. Nontan Lutusi from Recreate, uh, Fusi Fokani, uh, Recreate, uh, Mr. De Klerk, also um, uh, from uh, Blind SA, uh, Mr. Jack uh, Deveren, uh, for executive committee at uh, Saga, uh, Mr. Gabby LaRue are joining me on the line, um, Nick, uh, Nick um, Madzukis is a director at the Academy of Sound Engineering. Uh, Mr. Stephen Hollis, a partner at Adams & Adams. Uh, Mr. Colin Lamini, executive manager and business development at Juto & Company. And finally, um, Dr. Evelyn Masocha from the uh, Department of Trade and Industry. But with me um, is, is my colleague, uh, Mr. Kayas Tolle. Nadis Tolle. Yeah, I mean, it's a very um, fascinating conversation. And I think one of the main issues that probably the listeners need to be aware of is just how diverse and interlinked the creative industry is. And I think for a lot of people, you think you're going to watch a movie, but a movie is a collaboration between the musicians, the animations people, which we call cartoons in my hood. I don't know why he calls it animation um, <laughs> and all of those things. And of course, to then write a law that seeks to cater to the interests of all these parties collectively was always going to be a very difficult exercise. And I suspect that one of the bigger questions that I'd like to pose, particularly to Mr. Jack Devnerain, and let's face it, uh, listeners at home actually know him as Rajesh. Is Rajesh from Generations, guys. So this is the Jack that we're speaking to. Um, Mr. Jack, I mean, one of the big questions that people might then raise is that perhaps a singular bill that sought to cater to the creative industry holistically was not desirable because the interests of the musicians do not always, you know, correlate to the interests of the animation guys, the film studios. Was a singular bill the best way to go? And does this bill then represent um, 
a collection of compromises, as it were. The musicians wanted to go that far, but of course, that affects the film uh, publishers, that affects, you know, other parts of the industry. So therefore, there's a drawback. Is this really perhaps the type of bill that you say everybody got something out of it, but nobody's universally happy? How would you characterize it? A way to characterize it is in a typical negotiation where it was once said, uh, a good negotiation is where everyone is equally unhappy. I think the reason that Saga is in, fully, is in full support of, of the bill as it is, is because it is ambitious. And if we have to look at where the process started, and Saga was certainly involved from the beginning of the DTI's stakeholder engagement process. So we were satisfied that we had sufficient input in bringing the voices of those very vulnerable people, performers in particular, into the room so that they can be heard. And for us, it was a continuation of the engagement that had been initiated from the time that um, the then President Zuma had connected with the uh, the creative sector to, to say, let me hear your grievances. And it's precisely um, because we've been engaged so long, and it, this is in fact the reason that Saga itself was created 10 years ago we celebrate our anniversary this year and we're very proud to have had the engagements the reason i believe that this is an important bill um in in its ambitious scope is because it it comes from trying to create reformation the reform starts from 1967 with the original performers protection act which was rooted in an apartheid economy which did not have any forward thinking scope. It did not um, imagine what what the world would become with the advent of television, which happened just six or seven years later. How then could it even have imagined what the world would become in the digital age, in the in, in the time of the internet? So you have so many thousands of new ways of exploiting audiovisual content that the act then in 1967 could never have contemplated um, copyright in itself um, from 1978 was also um, it, it could never have imagined what the world would be like and where we are now so the reason this is an important bill for us is because of, of, of its scope and because it is forward-looking and because I don't believe there's ever going to be uh, a bill that will suitably satisfy all the requirements, the needs, and answer all the grievances of every single sector and every individual in it. What we have is an opportunity to rely on each other as industry professionals to say, where is the common ground? And if we have to work off the bill as it is, do we have sufficient depth of knowledge, uh, of, of industry care and um, and skill to be able to connect with each other, to say, I understand where you're coming from with this and I believe that there may be a conflict here but I believe that there's an opportunity for us to self-regulate and as much as the bill may not be able to cover every eventuality it is the opportunity to say the most vulnerable sectors are being catered for and protected as it should be in our constitutional democracy and where there is opportunity for us to connect allow us to do so 
as part of our industry self-regulation process. Yeah, and I suppose one of the uh, weaknesses that we have in conversations of this nature is that when somebody says they're vulnerable and the weak in the industry, everybody probably knows the most famous and the most prominent artists and nobody could accuse them of being vulnerable. But of course, the industry is much wider than what we see on a day-to-day basis. And I'd like to just um, bring in Adusi and Nuntando here. And I think, for me, one of the key issues that has come through is that this has been a process that is long in the making. And of course, and the real risk that you run here is that if people say this is a process that was started under the administration, of Jacob Zuma at the inception of that particular administration is that we might then end up with a bill that has now been finalized and yet the industry has evolved so much in that interregnum in that past 10-year period that the bill actually doesn't cater to what the industry is evolving and what it's becoming over the future. How do you actually then deal with those part of types of issues? I think um, as the DTG spoke earlier, the policy process began about 10 years ago and it doesn't mean that the legislation was drafted then so there were various commissions that were held there were various studies that were undertaken but the legislative process itself actually started about three years ago that allowed for full public participation there were hundreds of pages of submissions that I think the DTI can attest to having sifted through there were hundreds of hours of hearings um, that were held and I think the DTI is to be commended for having made a great effort to try and balance the various kind of competing interests and I think as, as Jack mentioned earlier it is it is not always possible to keep everybody happy all the time but I think that this bill is um, to be welcomed because I think it certainly brings the transformation and change that we need in our copyright um, amendment act I think the, the the current act is 40 years old and could not have foreseen the digital era that 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 would have taken place so i think for us as recreate we we welcome the bill and we can't wait for the president to sign it into law so that we can move on to the next stage which is regulation and i think after when we get to the stage of drafting regulations there'll be further consultations and further opportunity for members of the public or affected parties to to make their voices heard so for us as recreate we're a coalition of about 20 um, organizations representing various creatives in the South African um, industry so everything ranging from um, filmmakers artists uh, poets writers people who need to make use of accessible format material, people living with disabilities, people um, from the educational sector, people from the student activist sector, because we understand that in as much as we are creators, we are also recreators. In as much as we um, own the copyright to our work, we also need to access certain copyrighted material as key inputs into our productive and creative process, and hence the name of the coalition, which is Recreate. I think um, Krista will tell you more about the importance of people living with disabilities to, to be able to access certain copyrighted material so that they can reproduce it in an accessible format. So we are excited about the potential that the bill brings for creators in order to be able to, to earn from their work. And we think that this, this will be done through better regulation of um, collective management organizations. We think that this will be achieved certainly for, for filmmakers by changing the default position that whoever pays for your production automatically and immediately owns it, there is an opportunity for, for negotiation. 
we're looking forward to um, for creators to be able to to own their work. We're looking forward to creators to be able to to earn and to be able to exploit um, their work through a more flexible copyright regime. Let me bring uh, Nick uh, Kluter here, and 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 I'm trying to sort of locate. I mean, uh, Kaistola spoke about you know how this copyright bill is almost you know uh, a mixture of so many interests in it and and animation um i wonder how it fits in and you know where where do you fit in because i can see it almost playing in in more than one i don't want to say genre but you know species of 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 copyright where do you fit in and and what is you know as animation uh, south africa what is the take on the bill does it sort of promote uh, what i perceive to be a pretty new industry in this country um, what, what's your take on that, Nick? It's our responsibility as organized industry uh, to consult with the department and to do whatever we can to prevent predictable consequences. And they are entirely foreseeable in the current draft of the bill. And that's what we're looking to do. Yeah. Uh, Kaya actually had, you were more on point than maybe even you knew when you <laughs> referred to animation and cartoons interchangeably. And that's part of the problem because the fair use is actually modeled off of Section 107 based on U.S. law, but it is far more overbroad and overreaching and non-exhaustive because it includes the use, just for for benefit of your listeners, just so they understand, uh, fair use is a list of exceptions to copyright protection. And one of the listed exceptions to copyright protection is cartoons. It includes caricature and various forms of things. So, so just imagine what that's like for a second. Will animated content be protected under South African copyright law if this bill is introduced into law? And the answer right now, the way that it stands for fair use is maybe not, given that you use them interchangeably. So for us, it's just a matter of... But, but, but how, Nick? I mean, I mean you know, I, I, I'm curious to, you, to, you know, you, you explain the concept of fair use, yeah. but how does, how, how does cartoons or animation fall between the cracks in the, in the introduction of a concept of fair use? Because it, it could be considered that definitionally. It's not properly defined. Right. It's it's not indicated the, the the exclusion or the exception of this, and if it isn't properly defined in the bill, it doesn't enjoy any protection. The protections it's supposed to confer it doesn't, and this is what we're identifying in advance before this thing is to is become legislation. For for my benefit, um, and and it, it you know everybody else could be up to speed, but I certainly am not clear. Is 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 it is the point that the word animation is not defined in, in the in the bill yeah that's right right and it's not distinguished between animation and cartoon or caricature for that matter right yes um if i might um just not to get into the specifics i'm sure um evelyn from the dd from from the dti but i think we, we may be having a slight misunderstanding and i do hear the issue that you're raising around the definition specifically around the term animation but in terms of this the fair use exception with respect to caricature um cartoon parody etc it falls under a range of other exceptions which include um research private study news reporting etc etc so that that specific exception that you are speaking to in terms of copyrighted um, material 
re relates to a range of other exceptions that are already within the bill and not specifically to animated works is my understanding maybe maybe Nick uh, seems anxious to, to respond you're quite right it's in addition to everything you've now listed that's the point it's it's not the big difference between US legislation and South African legislation is that it does distinguish between, for instance, educational content. So if it's commercial ed educational content, it, it's distinguished from just educational content. Like, so in our case in animation, uh, the lion's share of our market is preschool. So if I make a preschool show, does that enjoy copyright protection? Yes or no? And I know it, it constitutes an audiovisual work, but it is education. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's 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 maybe just hear uh, Notando Tusi also from Recreate. Sorry, just to jump in there. Um, I don't know if this could be a, a solution for the issue that Nick you're kind of envisaging that this bill will have. But from my understanding of the legislation, fair use is very qualified as to what it amounts to. It's got four kind of provisions that set a principal test for what amounts to fair use. We have to look at the nature of the use, the amount of the use, the purpose of the use, and I think what pertains particularly to your industry would have to do with the last and final test being um, does it have a substantial effect on the original market? So as you were using that example of you know creating an audiovisual work for educational purposes, if it be it a you know, a children's textbook and you do the animation for that. If that, if my usage of that was to actually infringe directly on your ability to kind of make money, make profit off of that, that use wouldn't be fair. So as much as I definitely agree with you that there might have been a shortfall in not properly defining animation and making that distinction quite clear, I don't entirely agree with you on envisaging the problem that... But, but Natana, is the point that he's raising not it's not an act yet and I'm flagging this whilst it's still a bill so to make sure that there's no ambiguity why don't you uh, put in the definition well that's the great thing I'll hand over to DGG in but, a but let me get let me get uh, uh, I beg your pardon Stephen you you wanted to come in um, uh, thank you Michael uh, I just want to uh, clarify for the listeners uh, because they might not all be up to speed thank you uh, you know, when we speak about copyright exceptions, what is that? Mm. So basically what copyright gives you as a creator, if you're also the author, then in most circumstances you'll be the copyright owner. What copyright does fundamentally is it allocates to you a list of specific exclusive commercialization rights. So you've got the right exclusively to reproduce the work, to distribute the work, to communicate it to the public. Now we've got the digital rights, which are important by wireless means as well, streaming, etc. So you control the commercialization, but to balance copyright so that we've spoke about balance before, mm. um, so that in certain specific circumstances, there shouldn't be the need for you to first get clearance from the copyright owner. That's what we talk about legislated uh, copyright exceptions in the Act. So it says, copyright owner, you've got these exclusive commercialization rights. And then, then it says to users, guys, if you're a news reporter and you're going to report on current events, you don't need permission from the copyright owner if you're going to display a certain uh, copyright protected work, for instance, as part of the news broadcast or in terms of the reporting. 
Now, there's various, in our law currently, there's what we call fair dealing. Mm. It's a closed list of circumstances where it's recognized that you do not need to pay, uh, obtain a license or prior authorization before using a certain work. It's very defined. So, for instance, for, uh, for illustration, uh, for teaching, for instance, when you're in a classroom, you, you don't need to get copyright permission for that. Uh, for also, uh, uh, reporting on current events in the news, like I mentioned. And also for things like parody, it's not necessary to have permission because that would restrict freedom of speech uh, uh, unduly. But now, uh, what the bill introduces... Uh, is the broadest set of copyright infringement exceptions that the known world has ever seen. So when we speak about fair dealing, know that it's that closed list Mm -hmm. of identified circumstances. And when we speak of fair use, we're actually speaking of a vague and open-ended. So I disagree with Nontandu's assessment. It's a vague and open-ended set of criteria that a judge will need to look at to determine whether the use was fair or not. Now, which of our creators, which of our musicians, which of our composers can go to the high court and litigate until it's proven that the use was fair or not? The problem in our law, and I'll just close on this point because I'm sure we're going to come back. The discussion is not, should not be focused on fair use or fair dealing in my view, because we can have fair use. Fair use is actually an American system that the digital companies, Silicon Valley love fair use because it is open-ended and undefined. So it allows them to make certain technological uses of works that do not necessarily threaten the commercial interests of the author. If you think about a search engine that needs to access images and things for the benefit of the user, no one's going to, to dispute that that's, that's valuable and that should, should happen. But the thing is, what government did is once again, they did not understand that by importing fair use, but not importing all the checks and balances that make the system work somewhat well in the States. And the most important one is the availability of statutory and special damages if somebody else is caught out to infringe you blatantly. Now, if that is imported into our law with fair use, I think that everyone will breathe a sigh of relief because what that does is it actually improves the, um, the ability of our vulnerable creatives to go to a top law firm in South Africa and say, my work was infringed. Here's my case. I believe I've got a case. Will you take me, my case on on a no-win, no-fee basis like they do in the United States? That levels the playing field between the powerful companies, especially the digital platforms that make use of, of materials, and the guy on the street that can't afford to see the matter through to, to, to litigation. So that is a, a, a critical weakening of our copyright law, and every single enforcement little tooth that we have uh, presently is being pulled at the same time. So that's what I think Nick was alluding to earlier, to say that the balance is skewed entirely in favor of the users and the very vulnerable creatives that DTI says that they were planning on protecting will be the ones who will suffer. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a very, very difficult matter. And I'd like to bring our, our participants on the line into this conversation, particularly Gabby LaRue. And I think, Gabby, of course, you know, the original intention, the original initiation process was to say, 
our creators, our, you know, the people that actually make the content are not being well protected by the existing laws. And yet it seems we have now gravitated towards a new regime, which admittedly is an improvement on what we had 40 years ago, which then just doesn't give the type of protections that were envisaged by the industry and not only doesn't give those type of protections, but seems to be shifting the bias towards protecting the consumers, as um, as, <laughs> as Nick just said. I mean, how do we deal with this? And we're going to put the DG uh, DDG at the end because of course she's on that has to go back and consider whether any of these things need to be changed but Gabby I mean what do we do now? Right look you know a number of things and I've been listening very very carefully to all the various representations uh, Tumsa Trade Union for Musicians of South Africa we, we represent musicians and specifically also in this case uh, when we talk about the copyright amendment bill as opposed to the performance protection bill um, many musicians who are performers are also composers. So those musicians will be affected by both these bills. Um, in, in itself, and this is just a, a very quick point that I want to point out, the, the way that the two bills were interlinked and, and uh, um, the way that, that the, the, the performance protection bill was positioned with regards to the copyright amendment bill, which is kind of the mother bill, is if the copyright amendment bill is not passed, then the performance protection bill cannot be passed. Now, that in itself is a dilemma because the two bills speak to, to two different sectors of the creative of, the, of our creative group, um, where the copyright amendment bill specifically speaks to people who create copyrighted material, intellectual property that can be copyrighted, and, and, and various rights emanate from that, where the performance protection bill speaks specifically to one right which is the right of performers. So that in itself is a dilemma. Now, be that as it may, um, I would like to just specifically focus on, on, on one area which nobody has mentioned tonight, and that is an incredibly topical issue that touches the copyright, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the discussion around copyright worldwide, and that is the issue around the value gap. The value gap uh, came as a direct result of the Digital Millennium, Millennium Copyright Act which is two decades old. Now, if we want to speak about uh, um, the, 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 age, the age of the Copyright Amendment Bill and, and then imply that because it's so old, it doesn't allow for, for technological development, should the same argument not apply then to the Digital Millennium Act and the resulting legislation, uh, you know, such as, as uh, the, the online uh, copyright uh, uh, copyright. Um, infringement li- liability limitation act, uh, which was a result of the same bill. So those bills are, are 20 years old in themselves. They were designed to, to you know, pr- protect sort of independent uh, uh, platforms as they start up on the internet, so that you know they don't get get shut down by a millennia of of of, of uh, pe- people suing them and litigation. So one can understand at the time that the bill had its place. However, 20 years later, the, 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 the loopholes and the exceptions and the, the opportunities for massive corporates like Google and, and, and related companies such as YouTube is able to exploit those bills to, to, you know, to, to release themselves or, or absolve themselves of any liability from user uploads of, of, of uh, you know, infringed copyright is completely out of touch with the economic uh, uh, well-being of those who create copyright. In the case of, of musicians, um, 
you know, if I bandy about names like as diverse as old legends and, and modern, uh, uh, you know, massive uh, modern contemporary entertainers from the likes of, of Sir Paul McCartney through to your Robin Schulz, David Guetta, uh, Coldplay, um, Maroon 5, uh, Katy Perry and all of these, uh, Kings of Leon. All of these artists are currently speaking out against the, the massively increasing value gap. Now, does that not tell our, our government something when the Canadian uh, uh, Commission for Heritage have just released a report pointing specifically at the flaws in their copyright legislation when the European Parliament has just uh, uh, instituted uh, regulation to, to force the likes of YouTube to introduce filters to make sure that any uh, a user can't just upload, uh, uh, you know, at will any copyright without having a check and balance if, if that, uh, that upload is covered by, by, by copyright protection. So this is what TUMSA is, you know, we hear what everybody else is saying. We have two major issues. The one issue is that nowhere does it, does it, does it uh, uh, address the value gap. Nowhere. And secondly, musicians themselves and composers specifically you know, everybody's talking in the department. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Masocha, but, you know, you, you, you keep referring to how the massive consultation took place over the last 10 years or whatever the case may be. But if you look at the basic reports, if you look at the MITT report, which is the old one, and then the CRC report, both of them point specifically at, at, local, uh, at local content, for instance. That was, that was sidelined. The first draft of 2015 had a whole clause on, on uh, uh, local content. By 2016, when the second draft came out, that clause was gone. So the two things that composers fought tooth and nail for to have in this bill uh, to address the, the value gap, which is a very, very real threat, and to look at local content for South African composers and South African creators, both of those were blatantly ignored in the bill. We cannot understand that. And then just to, just to finish off, um, I, I think one has to also make it very, very clear that none of us, I, 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 I want you to be naughty and say, none of the people in this room who are anti the current bill are, are saying, scrap the bill and start from scratch. I think we, 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 we recognize the need for the bill. All of us recognize the, the certain things in the bill that, that can stay and that is good and that, that does what it was set out to do. But there's not a single one of us that feel comfortable that the bill as it is now can stand and hold its own and cover at least the most fundamental, fundamental issues that will, that will protect uh, the musicians and, the, and, and specifically the composers uh, who, we ha who we have to look out for and what, what uh, the CRC report and the MIT report set out. Uh, Gabby, let me, let, me take a, let me take a break. And when I come back, I want to hear from... Um, Blind South Africa, and I'll, and and we'll be going straight to Mr. Christo de Klerk when we come back. We're going to take sure. a break, and we're back after this. Welcome back. If you've just joined us and you're surprised why we're still on, why the law report is still on at this time of the night, it's because we're having a two-hour special because this is a very important um, uh, topic for um, our country, for our creatives, 
and you know one you know I, I read one article that 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 advances quite a, a persuasive argument insofar as its impact on the economy so one can easily say it affects all of us and therefore uh, given its importance we are having a two-hour special for for your benefit and and of course uh, given the number of of views and voices that we want to hear tonight um, um, you know th- there was no two ways about it we needed to to, to make sure that we we, we fully um, understand um, um, uh, this. Before I took a break, um, I promised to to talk to Mr. Krista de Klerk um, of Blind South Africa, and 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 I, and I think w- w- the first question, Mr. de Klerk, is just to get your your point of view as Blind South Africa on 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 this bill. Thank you. Yes, the background is that visually impaired persons have access to approximately half a percent of published works in accessible formats. Now to alleviate that uh, book famine, the Marrakesh Treaty uh, was adopted in uh, June 2013, but to enjoy the benefits of it, uh, the, the, the exceptions, copyright exceptions um, given by it, a country has to ratify the treaty. To date, uh, 83 countries have ratified, uh, nine African countries have, sadly not ours. Our government's position on this is that the copyright amendment bill, the copyright bill must become law before government will uh, ratify the Marrakesh Treaty. So, this has been a long time coming, many years, as we call it, the bickering about the bill has become uh, beyond frustrating to us. It is perpetuating the book famine. We need the bill to become law so that government will ratify the Marrakesh Treaty. It is cold comfort to us when all stakeholders tell us they, they support our plea for exceptions to the copyright bill because it's not going to happen unless the copyright bill is, is, is accepted. Now, in, in, in my years practice in law in my previous life, it was clear to me that there is no such thing as a perfect bill of parliament, perfect act of parliament. There are always sections that people differ on, that don't agree on, that are bad, mm-hmm. that, are, that are good. And so it is with the, the copyright bill. But we believe it is a good basis, a good foundation uh, for it to be accepted now. It would, to a great extent, alleviate our book famine. It would serve as a, as, as a basis uh, for those who have been deprived, their royalties. Um, and the issues around the bill can then always be addressed later. But we need this bill to be signed now as soon as possible uh, thank you can i can i uh, uh, invite uh, stephen hollis to, to just come in um you you wanted to raise a point um yeah so you just got a mic go for uh, it thank you michael um so uh chris is right i mean it's it's taken way too long for us to ratify the marrakesh treaty uh, no one really knows what the delay is uh, in that regard 
Uh, clearly, everyone is on board with this. The visually impaired, uh, you know, it's 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 critical that that this need be addressed, um, especially in the educational field for people with visual uh, disabilities as well. Now, while so many countries are signing up to Marrakesh, uh, we're all saying South Africa, please do that too. Now, the thing is, unfortunately, the provisions in in the copyright bill, uh, which relate to uh, exceptions for the visually impaired go much broader than what the Marrakesh Treaty ever envisaged. It, the definition for a person who is disabled is not only restricted to persons with certain uh, disabilities which, which affect them to, to perceive uh, print or other media, it, it's literally any, any form of disability. So a person sitting in a wheelchair will qualify to be able to uh, run a business and, and reproduce books of, uh, you know, of, 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 uh, and create works without license to the, to the owner uh, in, and shifting it into is different accessible formats. Is that what the Marrakesh formats. Treaty says? It says no, the Marrakesh Treaty is, is limited to, uh, to, to persons with visual impairments right. uh, or otherwise print disabled. It's right. certainly not persons, not as wide. So it's such a simple thing for, for, uh, for the drafters to overlook. And it could have been fixed so easily, but it was ignored even though so many submissions were made. And just on another point, the, the book famine that Christo mentions, and, and quite rightly so, I agree with him. It's a critical issue. But the real book famine is coming if this bill is signed into law. Because in many ways, there's hidden agendas relating to this bill. Not all has been exposed yet, but one is certainly the exceptions that government's writing in, in the educational space, which will allow under certain circumstances or actually quite vague circumstances, insofar as the, 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 the copying will be justified by the, by, the, by the purpose, by the extent, uh, can copy whole textbooks and pretty much cut and paste in the in the educational space. Now, the thing is that the what's what's happening is various unguarded statements from high-ranking politicians, such as Rob Davies, who, when he was asked about these these unjustified uh, exceptions in the publishing field, the book publishing field in the educational space, for people to be able to for educational institutions and for government to be able to copy whole textbooks and journals and not even, only where practicable, uh, uh, acknowledge the author of the work. Why, why this sweeping change to our copyright law? It became quite clear when Rob Davies said, uh, uh, when the bills were discussed at the National Assembly, when they voted on it to say, uh, textbooks are too expensive. Now what that means is that, and Miss uh, Joanne Fubbs, uh, the, the chair of the uh, National Assembly's Portfolio Committee on Trade and Industry, both of them, she also mentioned that, uh, uh, you know, the days of a student uh, going to uh, a photocopier and throwing in a thousand rand and that thousand rand trailing off somewhere and no one knows where the money goes, a, a fable really, is, are, are limited. Uh, opened everyone's eyes who were closely observing to see that government is trying to execute on their free education for all drive by introducing these exceptions and in the end they are going to place the burden at the door of the author to pay off those books of those textbooks to pay for uh, for the the costs of education to be reduced similar that, provisions that seems uh, Stephen that seems to be a very major theme in all, in all the writings that I've read in in so far as people taking issue with with these this educational exception and, and I think we we need to do it a little bit more justice and and if we, we I'll certainly give you uh, an opportunity to respond but I have I haven't ha um, had the voice of um, 
of 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 Nick and who um who speaks um for the Academy of Sound Engineering um that's uh, Nick Mazukis Nick perhaps perhaps um let us know y- your view and your thoughts on the bill uh, before we invite the deputy DG to to sort of respond particularly to um the issue of the educational exception Yes thank you Michael um well I've been listening very intently uh, to everybody's comments, and uh, I, I, I feel that a theme has emerged here. Now, you have to remember, I come from uh, the background of education of the music and film industries, the creative sectors in, in, in music and film, education um, at grassroots level. Therefore, I have no, no agenda other than the interests of creators and potential creators and I myself am an author, of course, and commentator on the music industry. Um, the fact that I'm a lawyer is neither here nor there. As an observer, as a person who, who, who represents and teaches creators uh, with, uh, regarding the business aspects and the legal aspects of what they do, we have to observe, and this is done with all due respect, that there is more about this bill that is contentious and possibly bad than there is that is good. Now, a theme has emerged here tonight, and it's been said a few times. Good intentions, but unforeseen consequences. And I do think that that is the background from which the, the bill has emerged. And I think somewhere along the line, perhaps... Uh, the intentions themselves have been warped or changed. If one looks at the CRC report that Stephen alluded to, uh, which was published in late 2011, clearly the intention behind this legislation and where we should have gone was to benefit creators across the board on a, on a more probable basis than we have. What has resulted in, in, in the various debates and, and the various drafts of the bill is in essentially what I see as an international experiment, which is a very dangerous one. I think that um, with all the best intentions in the world at the start of the process at any rate, what we have now is a bill that is so risky in terms of its, of its unintended and unforeseen consequences that it, it could in fact turn the creative sectors on its head. Now, much has been said about lack of consultation and lack of impact assessment studies. Well, you know, I don't want to comment further other than to say that the only objectively sourced impact assessment that I have read, uh, which was done for the book publishing industry, indicates very clearly that if this bill is passed in its current form, there will be a loss of 30% of revenue to the book publishing industry and something like 1,250 jobs will be lost in the first year. Now, I don't understand the book publishing industry. I am an author. All I know is I have a publisher and, and my book gets sold. I have no interest whatsoever in restricting its access to, to visually impaired people or, or in any way... Uh, uh, contravening the, mar- the intent behind the Marrakesh uh, Treaty, but the question has to be asked, would I write this book again, which I will have to do once the bill is passed and made into law, because we'll have to rewrite our comments about the copyright laws in this country. Will I rewrite the book? The answer may well be no, because what would be my incentive if at every educational institution 
constitution in the country without my input, it could be copied willy-nilly, uh, which seems to be the intention behind the education exception. That's just one of the problems. Many, of, many things have been mentioned tonight. The 25-year reversion, I believe that is a classic example of good intention, bad, bad drafting and unforeseen consequences. Let's, let's stick perhaps we for a moment with, with one theme, Nick. Um, and, 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 and maybe see a theme to its end. And, and it's this, you know, um, concern around educational production and, 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 and material. Um, can I, can I perhaps, you know, get the view, um, from you, Dr. Masoja? Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, in terms of the, the concerns around the education, the education sector. We, we have the view that the exceptions that we have in the bill are fairly balanced. And they have been researched. And as much as other stakeholders are saying that consultations were not sufficient, we think that there were more than enough consultations in the in the parliamentary process. I'm, I'll, I'll just explain why I'm coming to that. Mm-hmm. So, so before, and I, and I and I and I and I'm quite loath to, you know, interject as you speak, but okay. but I I, I just want to get um, a sense that we establish as a matter of fact that whether in your assessment, um, one can take a whole textbook photocopy it without regard for for the for the author the publisher and and that value chain the the bill has an exception around that Mm -hmm. there is a section that talks about where that can happen where a full textbook can be copied but there are restrictions around in in which circumstances for example when the uh, material is out of print or where the author cannot be found or where the competitiveness element is not taken into considerations and prices are excessive and coming to that part i need to emphasize that currently the market is very restrictive and there is uh, the market share issues are very concerning around the competitiveness of the publishing industry. So as much as the public- publishing industry has had a high outcry that has impacted on how the bill is perceived, there are issues of fairness and competition around this. And to an extent that currently the Competition Commission is looking at a, pot- a potential cartel that has uh, affected the the book uh, the educational book sector from the preschool level up to university level. So the price of books it is a concern, and also the current fair dealing uh, provision in the Act is very restrictive and is very expensive even for universities. So the current environment is not really working even for our people. And as government, we are concerned about transformation and reformation and ensuring that we we make access to education, access to opportunities, um, something that is viable for all. And this also talks to the issue of fair use. The way we see the fair use provision in the, in the, in the bill is that it has got safeguards. And similar to the U.S. fair, fair, fair use that has got the, the four-step test that talks to the nature of the work, the extent of the, uh, the amount of work, issues around whether it's for commercial purposes and, and so on. So there are some safeguards. And also there is room to have guidelines that can stipulate how fair use can be interpreted. And coming back to the issue of animation and the language in the bill, the structure of the bill is informed by the structure of the act 
that we have and this particular language that i know everyone would like to see in terms of their own um, industry but then there's with drafting there's certain um, concepts that we need to we tend to uh, reword in a particular way so you may not necessarily see every kind of word that you want to see in the legislation so in that sense we think that the bill can with the regulations, with the guidelines, certain things can be clarified further. But then we are of the view that as it is, it has got safeguards. And we have a copyright tribunal. If you talk about litigation, mm. we have a copyright tribunal that is going to be strengthened in the legislation. And this will provide issues of redress and access to dispute resolution mechanism. So if we talk about the concern that fair use is going to lead to disputes and more litigation, we are having a mechanism in the legislation. And if you listen to the debates, most of the arguments are around the reversionary clause and fair use. But if you look at the entire bill, it introduces many, many proposals, many amendments, even new mechanisms like your artistic resale royalty for artists. And if, for example, this bill is not, uh, it does not go forward, it is true that other industry stakeholders are going to be affected. For example, the Marrakesh, the Marrakesh Treaty will be affected because it needs the bill to be passed into law before we can have that um, that, 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 op- that 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 provision. I mean, uh, coming into effect. So I would say that the the issues that have been raised are, are important. However, we are of the view that we have sufficient sufficiently covered for these issues. And if you talk about the users versus other. Uh, role players in the bill. The authors are covered in the bill. The creators are covered in the bill. Even for t- copyright owners also to some extent. So I would like to dispel the, the, the issue that we are focusing only on users. Because if you look at the share of royalties, the share of royalties about the authors. If you look at the strengthening of the commissioned works in the bill, the commissioned works looks at also the copyright owner because we provide for the issues around the agreement and where the authors can have more rights. So in our view, the debate has been distorted in a way. And then those who are able to push certain um, arguments have focused on certain things, uh, certain views that have taken most of the bill out of context. And in terms of the education debate, with what the minister has said regarding the education, fair use contrary to what is being said about it, it's not 100%, it's not a a, a bad proposal. Because with countries that have widened exceptions, with countries that have gone and used for use, most of them are very progressive. If you look at the United States of America, for example, it is one of the leading countries in the world when it comes to creative um, prosperity. And, And countries that have also adopted this fair use are doing very well or those that are using fair dealing like your Canada but then with wider exceptions and we w- would like to also just one last point mm-hmm. to just emphasize that the study that has been um, used or highlighted frequently that has been used as a mecha- mechanism to say the publishing industry is going to be affected 30% we, 30% we, we dispute the, yeah. the, 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 the quality of that study because it was not a proper impact assessment study it was a perception study where people just use perceptions to just highlight certain things they, w- they went and interviewed individuals 
and then maybe I ask you, Michael, mm-hmm. do you think this uh, is going to affect you? And you, Michael, say it's going to be a negative impact. It was not a proper. So it's a small const- sample. It was a small sample, not only small um, in terms of size, but in terms of the quality of the methodology. So I question the credibility of that research. I don't think it was a credible research. And contrary to what has been said, if you go to Canada right now, there are research studies that have shown that the book, the educational sector has actually boomed, contrary to the views that have been given out there to say that it has not worked because of the wide exceptions, the publishing industry has suffered, the educational sector, they, it's questionable. It's not 100% like that. So just to put that on record. So, 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 so run, run that by me again. The Canadian study says what has boomed as a result of what? The the view that has been advanced by the arguments in the country right now yeah. with so I got study. that part. I want to get the your ca- in the Canadian, Canada yeah. actually the some researchers have shown that actually the educational sector, especially universities, there has been growth in that in those sectors in in education in, in education. So contrary to the view but, that but, but is the concern that has been voiced not that the yeah there might very well be a growth in education, but it diminishes the incentive for those that want to write and publish educational There's material. no conclusive studies that have shown that from right. what we've also checked. It's more of a perception in, yeah. my, in our view. And Nick Luther, please, um, you, um, you wanted to jump in. I'll probably tag team this, this with Steve, um, but the, the whole thing here is um, the point about the tribunal, I think it's going to be quite restrictive still because the bill still prescribes fees. Um, that need to be paid and it doesn't cover any of the legal practitioner that has to represent you during the trial. So the creators, the authors of the work will still have to try and contest that in court. And apparently there's some design tribunals that have a, a backlog of about a year. So, and the biggest issue with fair, fair use and fair dealing is that at least in fair dealing, you can uh, have an interdict issued to prevent the continued exploitation of the copyright uh, whereas, if the fair use were to be implemented, that would not be possible. I just, I want to, I, I know exactly where, where, where Stephen's going with this. Can I tag him for the next response to do with everything else? Stephen, would you keep it crisp? Uh, unless, unless you, 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 you feel that you, you, you know, uh, uh, perhaps, perhaps uh, we're gonna, we're gonna get to you, Stephen. But l- let me hear. Uh, am I gonna hear uh, Notando or Tusi? Tusi. Thank yeah. you. Um, it's just back to the question that you asked around the issues that have been raised about the, the educational exceptions. I think it's important to mention that there have always been exceptions for education. But I mean, the difference the was copyright. it was 10% and now what I understand. As I understood, you could copy 10% of a textbook uh, before. It, it, it had to be fair. It was never um, stipulated. The assumption was always that under fair dealing, you could, you could use an excerpt, okay. right? So this notion, that we've, we've read the comments that um, fair use and this amendment bill will allow people to copy entire textbooks. And I think DDG has um, made a very good argument around what the specific provisions are in the bill. And I think it's also important for the listeners who haven't read the bill, perhaps to take time to do so, and for us also to speak specifics. I think we are going to run the risk of losing people if we're talking in rhetoric. Um, If you look at the publishing um, industry, I think it is important to emphasize again that we're talking about an industry that is currently subject to a competition commission inquiry. I think it is important to also, when Stephen talks about hidden agendas, I think it's important for us to lay all of those potential hidden agendas on the table. Going back to the much-touted report that was done by 
currently reputable auditing firm. The sample size was, I think, about 90 or so companies of, of in the publishing sector. They had a third, 30% response. And as the DDG said, it was perception-based. How do you feel about? What do you think about? Can you tell us what would happen about? So the credibility of that study as well, that then I think also puts out these um, really alarming kind of statistics, is one that we need to look a little bit deeper into. In terms of the, the, the much-touted impact on the Canadian publishing industry, I'm going to hand over to Nontando just to tell us a little bit more about what the international kind of versus local impact was. So from my understanding, just to kind of jump in, I'll overview in the Canadian thing, is that internationally, publishers in Canada took a hit because the exceptions that they created under fair dealing for educational purposes actually had an effect of localizing publishing. So if you look at the educational industry in Canada, it's thriving. It's thriving now more than ever because of the way that they actually crafted the legislation to cater for educational exceptions. And as just a, a recent graduate, I think it's very important to understand that fair use is not free use. As the DDG pointed out, there are very limited exceptions to when you can copy an entire textbook. Students will not be able to copy a textbook from page one to page 235. That is not fair use of that textbook. As she mentioned, it was specifically when you can't find the owner or the author of that book or the book is no longer in print. So as Tusi said, we have to look at the legislation and we have to read it and we, we shouldn't generalize but on I mean, that's, that's a very That's a very important distinction that you draw to say that it's not that a recently published book um, you, you, you can have wholesale reproduction no. of. Uh, on account of education, and, and so I, I, I want Stephen to to address me specifically on that. But Stephen, before before you you shop in, <laughs> I want to take a break, um, and when we come oh. back, um, yeah, I know, <laughs> gives you more time. <laughs> uh, we want to take a break, and when we come back, um, we're going to shoot straight into um, into some of these very interesting issues. Thank you. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuining Bill. Welcome back to The Law Report. Uh, the time is 25 past nine and by now you'd be expecting to hear from Sutumeya. And she's not in yet. She'll be with you at 10 o'clock because we're having a two-hour special talking about copyright amendment. Bill and I have, um, I'm pretty sure I, 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 it is fair to say that I have views uh, and voices representing um, the industry uh, uh, rather broadly. And... Um, and if you've just tuned in, um, as always, you know, we are going to, you know, we, we're going to be just giving you a, an, a good overview of what this Copyright Amendment Bill is going to be introducing. Before we took a break, uh, Stephen, um, you wanted to come in because I, 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 and, I and I'm sure also Afropolitans at home are, are thinking, well, what, what's the real story about, about you know, this, this educational reproduction exception? Well, thank you, Michael. Um, there's been so many inaccuracies that were circulating the room a few moments ago. I'm quite stunned, actually. Um, you know, first of all, the report that the Publishers uh, Association presented in Parliament to the uh, National Assembly's Portfolio Committee on Trade and Industry was an independently commissioned report by a very reputable organization, otherwise known as PWC. So if you do say that this report carries no weight, 
you have to be careful because you're actually attacking the independence and also the professionalism of PwC as an organization, which to my mind has not been uh, uh, challenged by anyone else. So then secondly, uh, fortunately, they went out and commissioned a report, an independent economic impact assessment that cost them a lot of money to prepare, I'm sure, because these things take time and they're expensive. What report did DTI do? To show yeah. us any economic impact assessment on the music industry, on the exceptions, there's zero, there's but, but, none. But Stephen, I mean, I, I don't want to interrupt your, your trail of thought, but surely, surely, um, the you know, PwC is not immune from criticism, and the criticism that has been advanced is not on the integrity. It's been on, on speci- it's been specific to the methodology. It's been specific to the sample. It, it, it's been specific, and 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 a badge from PwC or any other so-called reputable organization doesn't render them immune no of course you can be criticized but the thing is if you it's interesting to me how that report has become so disputed when dti did not actually bother to do their own economic impact assessment you know one of the 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 very controversial and and yes dti says there was a sias report which was never published um, and um, I had a look at that report, and certainly that was the furthest away from an independent economic impact assessment that I've, that I've ever seen. It looked like somebody dictated it in, in the halls of DTI, to be honest. Now, secondly, as we go to whether you can copy books, and, or, or hang on, before we move off that. So instead of that report being dissected and rubbish and thrown in the bin, um, don't you think that over the last 10 years they would have been, DTI would have done their homework, engaged with the different industry sectors, and then done an impact assessment study to see how their sweeping proposals, and let's be real, these are controversial, world-first proposals, many of them. They share the names with well-known uh, phrases like fair use. But don't for one moment believe that the fair use system that's being brought into South Africa is the United States fair use. They differ night and day. There are specific exceptions. America doesn't have these educational exceptions. That's interesting, isn't it? So if you want to introduce the American system, why do you purposefully leave out the mechanism, the balances and checks, the statutory punitive damages that our creatives would be able to enforce their rights? There's a hidden message there. So what DTI is doing is they're opening up basically a visceral gutting of our copyright laws, making it possible to copy whole works in the educational space because that's what they want. They want to execute on the free education for all drive. And then holding hijack the, 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 the rights of performers who, because the performance bill is linked to the Copyright Act, the performers can't wait any longer, but now they have to wait because there's constitutional issues with this copyright bill that have to be addressed first unless we uncouple the performance bill uh, from, this, from this fundamentally flawed and unconstitutional legislation. So just another point here um, to close the, uh, of what I have to say on the educational exceptions. Uh, it was said that you, you can't copy whole textbooks and so forth, but I've got a copy of the bill here. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it says that a person may make copies of works or recordings of works, including broadcasts for educational and academic activities, provided that the copying does not exceed the extent justified by the purpose. Now, that extent could easily be, ra- be rationalized by government to be a socioeconomic uh, f- uh, you know, need for, for us to, to, to reduce the cost of education, et cetera, et cetera. So or by the possible. student. Could it, I mean, uh, I'm thinking at a, at a micro level, can a student say, well, 
you know, I'm going to rely on that section, so I'm going to I'm going to copy this this textbook. Well, plagiarism is, is certainly something that uh, the doors also open up for because it says you only have to to recognize the author insofar as it's practical, N not not in any instance. Then further, it states that where you cannot obtain a copyright protected work at a price reasonably related, so a reasonable price, then you can also copy in the educational space. Who's going to determine what a reasonable price is? Not under who's going to determine who's, what a reasonable price is if you agree that the, 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 the reading is, is reflective exactly. of what you understand in the bill. Sorry, I have to jump in because we can't read legislation in isolation. That first clause that Mr. Hollis mentions is further clarified under 12D4, where it says specifically that so that it defines what those extends that justified purpose and it says. One, where the textbook is out of print. Two, where the owner of the rights cannot be found. And then three, where the same edition is not made available at a reasonable price within South Africa. So, so, so is it, is it, should no, those or cannot be obtained at a reasonable price. It, it, read on. Because you've just now read the entire clause. I just jumped to the relevant subsection. So read on. Or cannot be obtained at a price reasonably related to that normally charged in the Republic for comparable works. But there's no issue with that clause. I don't understand because, as uh, uh, sorry, maybe you can provide clarity and we can have more of a conversation around this. Textbooks have a reasonable price. We all know what they cost on the regular. I know if I'm going into the into a bookshop, if I'm looking to buy a science textbook, it's going to cost me upwards of about two thousand rand. If I'm looking to buy an English textbook, it's normally a novel. It's going to cost me about two hundred rand. So. The market. We have to look at the market. We have to understand that if a science book comes okay. in now I mean, the point at ten thousand rand, mm -hmm. the, the that point is you can still copy without but, 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 license. Hang on, hang on. The, the point, the point that that, that, that Stephen is is raising is who determines if two hundred is fair or two thousand is fair. I mean, the essence of reasonable is always going to be debatable. Mm. And just to just to go further, so there's another clause, uh, literally in the same massive long list of exceptions, saying that educational institutions can okay i'm paraphrasing now this no, is subsection three give it to us as it is okay it says <laughs> educational institutions shall not incorporate the whole or a substantially the whole of a book or a journal issue or of a recording of a work unless a license to do so is not available from the copyright owner from a collecting society or an indigenous community on reasonable terms and conditions. So once again, who will determine the reasonable terms and conditions? Natanda. But this is why we also have regulations to further flesh out these issues. I mean, the term reasonableness in law has been thrown around not just in copyright, it's thrown around in a number another a number of other fields of law and We've always resided in the court. I mean, in South Africa, we function on a separation of powers. We have the judiciary, the executive, and the legislature, and they provide, you know, kind of the flesh to the, the bones of legislation. So reasonableness, unfortunately, it's not something that we can kind of thumb suck out of thin air and speak directly to now, mm -hmm. but it is something that through interpretive measures, when incidences arise, we'll deal with one stage at a time. And while I'm on that topic, in no, other, in no other jurisdiction has fair use caused this upsurge in litigation. Nowhere have we seen any other jurisdiction kind of running to the courts to determine what is fair use. If we have time, I mean, on fair use, Stephen makes the point that, 
you've imported it, but f- the jurisdiction from where you've imported it has kind of corrective mechanisms. And and he proposed or suggests that you didn't or we didn't uh, uh, import those protective mechanisms. And mm-hmm. I, I want you to come back to that. But but I, I, I'm also interested to get the voice of of Colin Lameni here, whom whom you know um, we, we, I've kept quiet for 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 quite a bit. Um, uh, uh, Colin, maybe jump in because I don't want to prescribe to you um, uh, where to come in um, because you know, having been so quiet for so long, there's so many issues that we've we've covered, um, and I don't have the benefit of perhaps reading your <laughs> your facial expression so that to, to know when you want to come in because you're on the phone. Where do you want to jump in and, and and perhaps just you know make that point for us whether whether it's on this topic um, or, or 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 another? All right, thanks, Michael. Look. I wouldn't like to labor on, on, on the issues of uh, the, the exceptions of fair use because I think we've already extensively dealt with it. But I would like to raise the issue of uh, regulatory overreach where it's now provided in the bill that the Minister of Trade and Industry will be able to prescribe minimum standards for commercial contracts as well as to to prescribe what would be the royalty rates. In our case, as an industry, we are saying, how can the minister be in a position to create rigid and an inflexible system that interferes with freedom of contract between authors and publishers or between musicians and recording companies, etc.? You can't take away the bargaining power away from the creatives because you are actually going to interfere with a healthy, competitive commercial environment which best serves all creatives. In any sector, you need to have a healthy, competitive commercial environment. And we cannot now create a nanny state where the minister, who does not understand all the sectoral nuances, to be able to now prescribe what those minimum terms and conditions are. It, 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 it's, it, it, it's beyond me. I, we really don't understand that. And, I mean, also the issue of um, evidence-based provisions, which um, uh, Dr. Masocha has alluded to, that uh, the price of textbooks is too expensive. But where is the evidence that points to that fact? You cannot say the price of textbooks is expensive when you cannot substantiate that in, in, you know, and back it up with evidence. We have commissioned as the Publishing Association of South Africa and, uh, and uh, um, a research which shows that there is no excessive profit taking from the book sector. That is completely false statements that have been thrown around that textbooks are too expensive. Go and look at any textbook that has been published by a local author. It is within reasonable means. It's between 200 and 400 rand. Those textbooks that are over a thousand rand are imported textbooks, which leads me to the point about another provision which has been put in this bill, which is about parallel imports. Because now this bill will allow parallel imports, which for the benefit of the listeners means if books are available overseas at a price that is lower than in South Africa, those books may now be imported from overseas, which means um, the you know it, it's now a pro-consumer exception, which will now hit the book trade very hard in South Africa when the president is trying to 
create a reading culture in South Africa and, you know, for us to have a reading nation and promote and incentivize authors. So this goes like, it goes back to the unintended consequences of the bill. It will not support the authors, the local authors, and it will reverse what the decolonization project, which we are currently working on in South Africa, all those black emerging writers that are contributing to our body of knowledge in South Africa will be heavily hit by this because all those vague provisions around uh, price that would be reasonable. When, when, when will authors get the time and the money to go to courts to try and protect themselves against such vague provisions? And how will we prove point, that? Point well made. Akaya. Yeah, I think, of course, Colin, one of the big limitations here is that one has to contextualize the conversation. And of course, when somebody says that uh, books are excessively priced and it's really from the context of who is the end user and the end user in South Africa tends to be the type of student who probably cannot afford them. Or when you look at the sum of money that they have to expend in acquiring textbook, that is what one deems is excessive. And I'm thinking here what we're missing is really the question of how do you find a middle ground to then say, look, clearly the people that say that books are overpriced or expensive have got a legitimate concern. It could just be an issue of affordability, but we really cannot have a situation where the publishing industry simply says, well, actually, we're not overpriced. We've commissioned our own internal study, which, of course, also has particular tensions, and this is the price that we have. It's a question of how do we actually get to some form of consensus where people can say this is the concession that we've made, and the legislature can say this is the concession that industry stakeholders have agreed to, and that's how we move forward. Um, Jack, you wanted to, to come in. Yes, on the point of uh, context, in fact, that was just raised, it was Colin who mentioned that, you know, he was confounded by, um, you know, how the minister could have such wide-ranging powers in order to establish minimum uh, standards in uh, in a contractual relationship. And I, I, I believe Colin when he says that because he genuinely did sound confounded to me as well. Um, what What I'd like to offer is that in the context of the um, the performers contracts um, if, if we have to take it a step back and also look at context there as well it was over a number of years decades in fact that actors were required to sign performers contracts that would come from a, bro- a broadcaster uh, so th- those contracts were specifically designed for the actor to sign away any rights they had over uh, any residual income that might accrue through the commercial exploitation of the work so when when we look at at the extent to which actors were being forced to sign away their rights um we quickly discovered that this is all we have actors only have contract in which to determine the relationship between the the actor and the producer and the broadcaster so obviously actors were concerned that but hang on why why do we not have the negotiating power and in all our efforts over decades to approach broadcasters and producers to say please help us and please please allow us some some share of the equity um, it was always met with a very dismissive kind of attitude which we we deeply regret uh, formed almost a defining element of what our audiovisual industry is so finally when we have an opportunity to address our concerns through statute suddenly there's a concern about well hang on why is government now intervening well the reason government is intervening in the form of the minister is because when we were asking for your cooperation all along 
possibly even in the form of collective bargaining rights. We were dismissed out of hand. And we are the first to say also that we do not want to be overregulated. And in fact, as Nick Kluter and I were discussing earlier this evening, um, it, it is important for our industry to demonstrate that we have the capacity for self-regulation. So this is certainly something that we want to be able to demonstrate, not to rely too heavily on any kind of intervention by a minister in the form of regulations, but certainly to say that we have the capacity as an industry to manage this process ourselves and not require the intervention of the minister. Um, Nick Luther? Yeah, so we completely sympathize with our performers and we stand with them for the rights for royalties, but, but this is part of what we say, a completely foreseeable consequences. Be consider how even in the same sectors, there are different working models that apply because no doubt DDG, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but what informed needing to introduce sections 6, 7 and 8 was that the performers were being exploited so the different broadcasters and channels and networks would be exploit you and they would define because they'd have the power in the bargaining I get that but now consider there are other business models because that's just to do with in cases where you exploit the content the content is a monetizable product in other cases like for commercial ads the, the, the content that we create is not what is monetizable it's not the, the product it is promoting a product or service and in those cases those are usually predefined marketing budgets so in those cases in order for those people they they would be required or the studio who who enlists or contracts for that original work would then need to pay perpetual royalties for the use of their work and of course that would make it so that the internationals, anyone who'd be prepared to commission their work, would not bring the work to South Africa. So at least in that respect, the performers would lose out on that opportunity to be able to get that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm saying it's, it's a big concern. I, I want to uh, invite um, the other Nick, uh, Nick uh, Mazukis. Um, Nick, you know, so, so I'm sitting here and I want to argue that I'm perhaps a bystander. And, and, and my observation so far is that, um, you know, on the, 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 on the one end, there's a view that the criticism is exaggerated and therefore unfounded. And then on the other end is, but hang on, um, I'm not being accommodated. Um, and, 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 and perhaps I want to I get it, you know, I want to I get from, from you in terms of give me something sort of direct to say on this and we've got the ddg here and just address if there is indeed a myth l let's get to the bottom of it but if there isn't let's also let's also expose that so so point to me um an obvious thing i mean we've 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 explored for example the issue of textbook an obvious thing that you say but this we have no comfort in and this tends to reverse what we believe are the gains that one that 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 the industry and speaking for your industry um uh, ha, ha, has reached up to the stage well michael i have to i have to say that i i wear various different hats here therefore i come from a, a fairly combined and unique perspective i am a lawyer i am an author but i am in the music industry primarily i'm still a performer in the music industry uh i have been an actor in the past i've been involved from various perspectives in, in the creative sectors and, and the legal aspects of, of this. And I guess... Allow me then to pick up on, on your acting hat. 
Um, right. <laughs> and 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 I mean the the, the acting issues are, are very well publicized. Um, there were strikes, there were dismissals, and and soapies that had been part of the, I guess, the South African life for so long. Um, and 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 I think everybody knows how that played out. Let's speak about that. And 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 for example, um, uh, Jack celebrates the the intervention that is available by way of regulation um, uh, by the minister on on contractual basic contractual terms. What is then your sense and your take on on that specific issue? Well, again, my my sense is a unique one because it's historical. Um, yes, I have performed as an actor. It was I, in fact, who suggested that just as musical studio performers are now entitled to a royalty called needle time, which is a royalty that is automatically paid to them and and they share in it with the copyright owner, who is the record label. So those performers, uh, featured and, and non-featured, will get half of the royalty paid for the public performance of a sound recording. I was the one, I was the activist. I was the person who, in fact, first drafted the legislation, um, which recommended or made a suggestion in an article, in fact, and in my textbook, which suggested that a similar royalty should be payable to actors who are also defined and qualify as performers. And those actors should also get a needle time type royalty, which is the royalty that, that, that Saga has been campaigning for. And quite rightly, I'm in full agreement that that, that royalty should exist. Uh, and I, I believe it deserves its own collecting society, which should be regulated just like all the other collecting societies are going to be. And wearing my acting hat, which you've asked me to do, I have absolutely no issue with the introduction of that royalty. I welcome it and I applaud it. The problem, Michael, is that there is so much other legislation included in this bill, which unfortunately is defective or faulty or will have these unintended consequences that, that various of your panelists have been talking about today. If you take, for example, the origin of the 25-year reversion, which so much has been sp sp spoken about tonight, where did that actually come from? Well, I'll tell you, it's a famous story. You know the story of Solomon Linda and the Lion Sleeps Tonight? It was a South African composer that wrote that, uh, that famous refrain, which has been used by the the Disney Corporation in the Lion King. South Africa is famous for this because at the time that Solomon Linda signed away his rights to that song, which was called Mbobe, as opposed to Wimbobe, which it then subsequently became in that song, In the Jungle, The Mighty Jungle. You know the song I'm talking about. You're afraid well, to sing it because I can sense that you, you want to no, sing it. But... No, I'm a drummer. I <laughs> but um, we all know. Yeah, so, 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 so I take the liberty, Michael. <laughs> well, if I can just finish the story, Michael, what happened there famously is that because of, of a provision which existed in our previous copyright legislation before the 1978 Act, which was called the British Imperial Copyright Act, there was a 25-year reversion, and it was called the Dickens Clause because it, it was enacted to, to, uh, in response to the fact that Charles Dickens' family died in, uh, you know, found themselves in poverty after his death because he, gam he gambled away and sold, away, sold his, his copyrights. And the Dickens Clause provided very clearly 
that 25 years after the author's death, very importantly, after his death, the copyright would revert to his heirs and there it would be, in England, it would be another 55 years. In South Africa, that would, that would be another 25 years. So the other 25 years after the composer's death, the copyright reverted back to the, the Linda family who were in poverty in Soweto. And the story is a famous one. But think about the jurisprudential angle of that legislation. The Dickens Clause provided that the copyright reverts 25 years after the composer's death back to his heirs. I got that, Nick. Um, so, 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 hang on, Nick. I want to bring in Kaya Satole, and and we've we've got quite a special way of of introducing the DDG. <laughs> so, DDG, obviously, you probably have been keeping an eye on what's been happening in Pretoria. That you may have had a new boss. Um, Ibrahim Patel is still <laughs> the Minister of uh, Trade and Industry after the merge. But uh, I mean. Going forward, um, this is definitely still a conversation that is not finalized. And I think the good thing about it being a bill is that it's still not the final law. What exactly is the appetite for the department to actually come back and say, look, in spite of the fact that it's been a 10-year process, in spite of the fact that this is a three-year legislative process, there are clearly far too many points of departure, whether you're talking about the jurisprudential area, whether you're talking about just the anxiety that still prevails within the particular stakeholders. What becomes the appetite of the department or just government in general to actually take a step back and say, clearly, we haven't got this recipe right? Is this something that can be entertained or has the house bolted? Um, thank you for that. And, and thank you for welcoming our new boss at the DTI. Um, I think this has been a very useful conversation, uh, Kaya and, and yourself, Michael. And there has been many deliberations uh, at different platforms. We've been having meetings around this with the coalition and others. I would like to say this. We, we respect and we, are, uh, we, we, we value the views and the input by various stakeholders from the industry. And we hear what they are saying. But as government, we have a, we have a responsibility. South Africa has an untransformed creative industry sector. It is, is, is untransformed in many ways. Let me use an example about the contractual freedom that uh, uh, Mr. Lamin is talking about to say that uh, it's an overreach by the minister. Currently, as we, as we speak, many authors, many creators do not receive uh, any uh, remuneration or economic exploitation of their works. It's a fact. Hence, we have this concept of people are dying as paupers in South Africa. So we are of the view that we, with the, with the policy imperatives that we have put in the bill, we have uh, tried our best to uh, incorporate as many interests as possible uh, from uh, people living with disabilities, from the educational sector, and many others, the music industry and all these other subsects, uh, copyright-based industries. So coming back to your point about what are we willing to, to work with going forward? Are we willing to say that this, uh, b this cake needs to be baked or we need to add more uh, icing or more sugar or more salt? I would like to say that given where the processes are now, it's with the president. Mm. And we are of the view that as imperfect as many can say the bill is, it has a lot of good in it. And I acknowledge the fact that everyone has said that there are good intentions that are with the bill. And we are of the view that there might be some sections that are withdrawn, but then we think that overall the bill 
is, is balanced. So we are willing to engage stakeholders going forward, depending on what the president does. But DDG, we've learned the hard way that occasionally when government does go ahead and proceed and enacting particular laws, we are then signing ourselves up for a two, three-year litigation process where literally people are going to take it very, to the very basics and say, part one is unconstitutional. And of course, the consequence of that is that you end up suspending the entire enactment of the act. I think there's multiple instances of that. How do we actually get around that? Because clearly... We can't be saying it was a 40-year bill, it's taken 10 years to get us here, and still the government then says, well, we'll proceed with the version that we have when stakeholders have already said, well, we're already ready to march to the courts. Currently, there are stakeholders who are for the bill, as you have seen in this room. There are those who support it, they see value in it, and there are those who are against it. And we are of the view that given where it is in the process, depending on the outcome, we will be open for further engagement. Gabby, if I could, you know, I think you're going to be sort of the second last speaker, and I and I, I want to I want to sort of um, uh, get your your remarks as well, Stephen. So so, Gavin, I I I got it quite clearly that you're not happy about the value gap that is um, uh, being created, as well as the uh, the impact on musician and composers. Are there any good things? I mean, I mean, you are. You know, you, 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 your your work is is known to many of us. You've produced songs like Nkalagata for Mendoza, and 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 of course your your resume goes on on and on. Is there anything good that you think um, is progressive about this bill? You know, I I think that there are there are a number of things. It 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 does what it's supposed to do, just in terms of your basic uh, uh, legal adjustments to to incorporate technological advancement. Um, I, I, there's a myriad of those things that are so obvious. I don't want to labour that. But the problem is there there are so many fundamental things, not just your basic going through the through the motions of of, of bringing the bill in line with technological development. There are so many fundamental legal and the rights challenging issues that are wrong and are still unresolved in, in this, this current draft, that that is where our focus lies. Um, I, I would not want to want to sit here and now, you know, waste everybody's time and energy singing the praises of the bill where it's done what it's obviously set out to do in specific respect. I would like to, I haven't heard one response from the department on the value gap. In any of the forums that we've ever had any engagement in, with the portfolio committee or the department or whatever, they just avoided that particular issue. And it's all right, cool. So we got two minutes, Gabby. We got two minutes remaining, and I'm going to try to uh, uh, get a response uh, from the DDG on the value gap. But before we do that, uh, Stephen, uh, and maybe succinctly, in, yes, in just about 40 uh, seconds. just from my side, um, you know. It's it's all good and well for DTI to say that not everyone is happy and and we did a, did the best that we could, but unfortunately the bill the copyright bill contains so many constitutional and other legal flaws that even though the intentions were good, it will lead to a disinvestment into our creative sectors and even our royalty rights are maybe promised to our to our to our performers and creators. If, the, if, if, if there's major disinvestment into those sectors as a result of a lack of, of investor confidence, they will simply not even, there won't be a magic money pot at the end. So we need to get this right and hopefully the president would actually, uh, f, uh, f, you know, pause before um, uh, and, and actually refer the copyright bill back um, and, and also the performance bill for some more work to be done. Sure. Uh, DDG, the, the, the value gap? Uh, 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 Gabby LaRue suggests that there hasn't been any response, not in tonight's show, not in any of the engagements. We, 
We have um, we have responded. I'm so sorry. I'm going to need sort of 40 seconds. That's all we have left in the show. All right. We are of the view that we have responded and acknowledged that there is more that the bill could have added in terms of the uh, digital issues. But then the EU directive, for example, as a, as a measure that the EU is coming up with, we need to study that because um, it's something that is coming up and it's not necessarily a fair use, fair dealing debate. But we think that uh, there is scope for future amendments. So Is that, is that concession? not probably going to the heart of what Kaya was suggesting. It's not, that, it's not mm. necess- I wouldn't say it's a concession, sure. but we note that there are developments around the digital space in the global space and it's something that in future we will be willing to engage on, but it does not necessarily uh, damper or hamper what is in the bill. So we have the view that digitally it is addressed in a way. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Let me thank all my guests. I think thanking all of you will eat into Sutumea's time and, and I wouldn't want to offend her after having taken an hour off her show, but I thank you all. It's been quite insightful. I've enjoyed it. I know for sure that the Afropolitans have enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was The Law Report with Michael Mitsuening Bill. Kaya FM. 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.